This week, we have something really special planned for you guys. We have a guest speaker that I've known now for the past seven years, and through that time, he's always been a huge source of wisdom for me. He's been through a lot and accomplished great things in his life, but above all that, he's always had a strong faith in our Lord. I hope you guys get as much out of listening to this as I did getting to speak with him. Welcome to the Pilgrim Song. Hello and welcome back to The Pilgrim Song. I am Charlie and this week we have something really, really special for you guys. Uh, My normal co-host Alexander is out on his honeymoon right now, so really excited for him. Uh, Hope that he is is doing well there. Um, But in the meantime, for the next couple of weeks, we have a special guest for you guys. Um, So I have with me today a man by the name of Dr. Barry Mason. Uh, if you have not heard of, of Mr. Mason, he is uh, a very important person in my life. Uh, I've been super glad to have him as a part of my life for the past seven years that we've known each other. He is the former dean of the University of Alabama Culverhouse College of Commerce and Business Administration. Uh, and you were in academia for over 20 years. Uh, you also served as the interim president of the university from 2002 to 2003. You have been the recipient of too many awards <laughs> to possibly lift uh, list off. Uh, you've authored eight textbooks, uh, authored and co-authored over 100 articles, have been recognized as a top 100 marketing scholar, uh, scholar in the past 20 years, inducted into the Alabama Civic Hall of Fame, also inducted into the Alabama Business Hall of Fame, uh, Tuscaloosa County Citizen of the Year in 2013, and I could just keep going on with all of your your accomplishments that you've had, uh, but it would take an entire podcast just to lift, list those things off. So uh, I say all that to say extremely, extremely excited to have you on. Uh, I know you are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. You've seen a lot of things. You've done a lot of things in your life and just really, really excited to to learn from you. Uh, and learn from everything that you've done. So without further ado, uh, let's get right into it. Um, So I'd like to start off with just a a couple of easy questions for you. Uh, The first is, do you have a favorite church hymn? Oh, yes. Precious memories, beyond a doubt. Oh, that's wonderful. We don't sing that one enough now. Um, That's that's fantastic. Why why is that your, your... Well, it's one ages and look back over time, that's only natural. And when you are, are struggling and having a difficult time, you try to set that aside and look sure. back at all of the wonderful times that you enjoyed and the memories become more precious with time. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's that's incredible. Uh, I love that. Uh, and then uh, do you have a favorite passage that you like to go to? Really, I have a favorite book, I guess, which is Ecclesiastes, that tells a story about what's worthy and what's not, and takes us in a journey through life as to what really matters. 
And often we don't know that. Our ego gets in the way and we keep score by money or books or whatever it might be. But Ecclesiastes quickly points out that the number one priority in our life should be Christ. And then we see that evolve over time. And I think also it extends in some strange ways to Song of Solomon that, that you talked uh, about life and what matters and have a, a life that's pleasing to Christ, but also is enjoyable in you as an individual. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I, I also share your love for Ecclesiastes. Fantastic book and teaches us so many different things. Um, okay. So how long have you been a, a Christian for? Oh, several decades. Uh, there were periods of time in which I was not particularly faithful, but fortuitously through the help of God, I encountered the right people who brought me fully focused back where I needed to be. And it's taught me that one never knows when they're talking to an individual that they may make a difference in the remainder of their lives. And that's the beauty of, of service to one another and caring about one another and loving about loving one another. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, so now that we've gotten some, some good questions out of the way, uh, let's, let's open it right up. And, and, and what I want to start with is just kind of hearing your story specifically, you know, how did you come to wanting to pursue a degree in, in business and, and even a PhD and then find your way into, into academia? That's a great question, and it is complicated in, in many ways. I was born in the very, very rural south, and back in the dirt country and so forth. And the way I first was introduced to Christ was a friend of mine invited me to go with them. And, of course, I did. And I became very intrigued and enthralled in many ways. But the environment uh, of my home was really not conducive to that. Uh, my mother was a Catholic. Uh, my dad, stepdad, was, he was an alcoholic. But sometime in his past, he had been... Church of Christ person. Eventually, you know, I was able to, to get him baptized late in life. But out of that, I knew that we need, I needed something to let me get involved beyond what I was in now. More specifically, uh, I was working uh, swing shift uh, in a bag plant and that was very difficult, as you know. You, For those that don't know, can you explain what a uh, a bag plant? Oh is? yeah, well it's a it's an out it's a product of the paper mill, and then you're making all sizes of bags and you know, all of that. So, uh, and we have to have bags, of course. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, and then it, it was an attempt to unionize the plant and 
One night about three o'clock in the morning, the pro-union people took me aside and said, if you don't vote with us, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. About two weeks later, on the graveyard shift, management said the same thing. And I thought, here I am driving back and forth at three o'clock in the morning with a, you know, 38 and a pair of brass knucks and leaded chain. I don't know what I would have done <laughs> if it ever happened. But wow. I, uh, I quickly knew that it wasn't for me. And in the, in the meantime, I had met this lovely young woman whose mother worked in the mill so I could show up at all hours because I was working shift work. And I was talking around, and somebody said, you should go to college. And I was so ignorant, I didn't even know what that was. In high school, we never talked about those things. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? And so uh, this was the guy who was finishing his Ph.D. at Alabama, and he'd arranged to get a good scholarship. So off I went. And I showed up for all of the usual tests and all of that that you take to get into college. And I took the standardized test. And the guy came back and said, well, you scored in the lower 9%. You need to go back to where you were. Intuitively, I knew I was ignorant. But I didn't think I was stupid. And you can cure ignorance. So... I talked them into letting me take 21 hours. I was working three part-time jobs to support myself and family back home. And then in the interim, you know, I, I married this sweet young thing. She wanted to get out of where we were also. She was 18. I think I was late 19, probably. And we went from there. It's, uh, we headed up to the college. We had enough money for a week. And so she hit the streets, and it all worked out. But from there, uh, I was encouraged to enter a master's program. And they had some money, so I said, why not? So I went up there, and uh, eventually they were talking about a Ph.D. as well. And I thought about it, thought about it, because I had interviewed for a variety of private sector jobs. and. None of them really appeal to me at all. Uh, so I kind of went from there. Uh, I was immediately involved in, in uh, at the time, we were, the U.S. was building the interstate highway system. And there were enormous opportunities for looking at the economic and social impact. And so I very quickly became involved with that. And they didn't know any better. And so eventually they asked me to, to stay on the faculty. And I thought, well, why not? Uh, and then it just unfolded. But I knew intuitively that with all of the grant money coming in, because a couple of the faculty had left, this was a great opportunity uh, career-wise. And so, you know, back in those days, you know, half a million dollars was a lot of funding money. And so yeah. I, hired, <laughs> I hired a group of doctoral students and took off. And it was just a wonderful way to publish because you're paid to do the research. And then uh, 
that makes it so easy. You, know, you can get multiple articles. And then one of the problems I've always had is I get bored rather quickly and I want a new and different challenge. So uh, the dean at the time asked me to come in and do a variety of things for him. And then I quickly became bored there. And then I was asked to be a department head, which I did for a number of years uh, before a new and different challenge. So uh, the dean at the time asked me to come in and do a variety of things for him. And I quickly became bored there. And then I was asked to be a department head, which I did for a number of years uh, before becoming dean. But I'd always believed, given the fortuitous things in my life that we needed to give back. And so I was immersed from the beginning uh, in the community and determining ways to open doors of opportunity for other people. And I have continued that until this day. After having served as, as dean for a number of years, and of course, raising you know a lot of money, that's what you expect to do as dean. I think we ran two campaigns back then at about eighty million each. Uh, but and so I became involved in the chamber of commerce and all of this other stuff because if you're in business, probably like engineering, you have to understand the reality, not just the theory. And if you are working with these people, you'll find out they know more than you do, usually. <laughs> and and so that is a good thing. Of course, I enjoyed teaching. It was just a, a great thing. But I never taught a full load. It was research or this or that. And then I got involved with this project for General Motors, and they gave me whatever time off I needed. Uh, and it goes back a ways. Uh, back at the time of this, this was the late 70s, early 80s, the economy was in a total crisis. Uh, interest rates were like 21%. Unemployment was 10%. Lines at the gas station were forever. And GM had had a, uh, had a plant, and they still do to this day, in the community. But they were going to have to close it because they didn't find ways to reduce costs sufficiently. And so one day, the, one of the VPs, who later became a chancellor, said, I want you to take this project. And I looked at him. I said, you got to be kidding. I said, that, you need an engineer to do that kind of thing. Nobody's interested. I said, okay. So they had 50 grand, I think, from the Chamber of Commerce. And with... The idea was you had to save at least $200,000 on an ongoing basis. If you did that, GM would bring a new product line into the plant. But the union was not enthusiastic about it at all. Uh, management was pushing it. Obviously, the community was pushing it. Anyway, we found over $200,000 that they accepted in six months. Because the reality is a university is a giant consulting firm <laughs> with no like overhead. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to, to get something in any area, like uh, 
finding water beneath the surface, or it doesn't matter. And it, that's the beauty of consulting at a university. You hire the talent that you need, whether it's in engineering, whether it's in law or whatever else. And so it provides unlimited opportunities. And of course, that also resulted in some really good publications in the Harvard Business Review and this and that and the other. And but the joy was in seeing the employees walking through that facility, smiling again. They had a sense of hope. I remember to this day a young couple, and she was pregnant, just almost crying. They had her job, and it was secure. And that is the kind of things that I think we all should strive to do, is to give hope to others. And that's always, strangely enough, uh, been that way. So I was bored after a while with that again. <laughs> and, well, you know, it was so the, uh, the board of trustees asked me if I would serve as interim president. I said, sure, why not? Was this before Dr. Witt? Were you the interim before? Yes, he succeeded me. And, uh, you know, I knew that all organizations were about two things, people and money. It's just the scale that's different. So the chancellor at the time called me down. He said, I know you got a lot going on, busy, because I knew I was going to have to testify in the NCAA hearing and all of this. He says, your number one goal is to get this university off of the party school roster because we cannot handle this enrollment still dropping. And then he turned and walked out the door. That is a challenge. Well. So taking you away from being a party school to. Yeah, a well, at the time. At the time, we were the only SEC schools where the bars were open 24-7. Uh but how the times have changed. Oh yeah. <laughs> Slowly creeping back up somewhat right, again. Right. But it was you know, it was a matter of working with the right groups. You go to the all of the churches and you go all of the others and get them aware of what's going on. And the price of alcohol and drugs and all of that <clears throat> because I knew that if there was enough pressure that the city council members and others being politicians, their view is always, there go my people, I must follow them. So if you put enough pressure on them, that they in turn will respond. And so we were able to do that, and the enrollment began to grow again, uh, and it made it less of a challenge to be facing against Auburn, which is there were known at the time, of course, as a very conservative kind of school. They've lost that today, but it's still a great school and a wonderful community. So, you know, in the meantime, when I got bored, you know, you mentioned the books. I wrote a few books, and then I decided that I wanted to be president of the American Marketing Association just if I could prove I could. It was about a 40,000-member combination of academics and professionals and I will never forget first day I walked in guy raised his hand up and says I 
I called, called for a vote of no confidence because there had been all scandals and everything going on and I was there. And I said, good. I said, I understand that, but give us, give me three days to the end of this week to talk about things. Vote came up and I prevailed 11 to 10, but I had to fly up in and out of, you know, the airport and fire the CEO and fire the CFO and, you know, hire others all in my, quote, spare time. And so that was a lesson, too, you know, that. Uh, and so there are always challenges. Uh, my firm belief is that you should always be in the game. Never sitting on the sideline. Otherwise, you're going to be thinking years and years later, I wonder what would happen if I'd done X. But get in the game. Give it your absolute best. And if you lose, that's okay. You gave it your best shot. And then as, you know, I became somewhat older and looking at things, as you know, I took on this special needs playground for children. Uh, there were four mothers. I was head of the uh, Park Recreation uh, Foundation at the time, approached us rather desperate. There was nowhere for their special needs children to play. And they didn't know what to do. So we agreed to take it on. It was, I really believe you have to set high, high goals and go for it. People look at you and say, are you nuts? You can't do that. Well, but anyway, we set up a public-private partnership. And we raised $2 million for the first phase in April of 21. We need another two-plus million for phase two. We... Have a million, we need another two or three hundred thousand. Maybe we'll get there. But I think faith is fundamentally important in all of that. You read the scripture and you understand how to work with people and how to get things uh, working in the appropriate way. Uh, you can't be a dictator. You have to understand the nature of humans and give them the confidence to, to get involved and believe in you and do things. Uh, often, and we run into to elders, for example, that are great people in from terms of basic scripture, but they've never been in a leadership position. They've never had to work with other people and so forth. So it can be very difficult. But one of the things I, I learned very quickly is always tell the truth. Always. That's the only way you're going to win confidence of those around you. And the greater confidence they have in you, the more freedom they're going to give you to go out and make things happen. If everything has to come to committee and be been debated endlessly it says they don't have any confidence in leadership but and I think in scripture and in the churches it's the same thing we know from scripture how to relate to one another uh, we understand what it means to be courageous uh, we know that we're going to make mistakes but God's grace is there and even in the most difficult of times, 
you turn it over to the Lord. This is in your hands. I don't really understand all of this. I have the faith, but then take off uh, because you believe that it's something that the Lord has approved and he wants it to happen in terms of service to others, that it will happen. But it also teaches you humility that is vitally important because if it becomes all about you, it's a disaster ultimately because you're looking out for yourself and not the people around you. And it also forces you to figure out what your real priorities are. And we think we are strong Christians. Then you find out sometime when a crisis hits, your reaction is totally different than what you had expected. But you turn to Scripture and you get the answers. So that's a long, wandering response. But I always enjoyed teaching in church. I remember I had a six-month period one time to teach the Old and New Testament. and just love that. But I'm rambling. You're going to have to edit all this out. Oh, no, no. This is wonderful. Uh, I can't edit any of this out, no. Um, so you mentioned uh, when, you, when, you were, when you were president of the university, the, the charge they gave you was to, you know, take down the, the party nature of, of the school to yeah, improve right. the enrollment. And that's so interesting to me, right? Because it's, you know, I feel like partying is such a big part of why a lot of people like to go to college. Uh, and so what kind of, uh, I'm assuming, you know, if someone did that now, I know the response of students. What was the what was the response at the time when, when you decided to, you know, try to take that on? And for those that may not know, you we have a, a road, we call it an area called the Strip in Tuscaloosa. And it's, the, it's where all the bars are. Uh, and I believe, if memory serves me right, you tried to get that shut down. I, I did. I was, forget 24-7, finally worked out a compromise with the city council and the people who provide all the alcohol and everything else to shut it down at midnight. Wow. You, you couldn't shut it down totally. Sure. But And so that went through. Uh, students, you know, some of them were been out of shape, but I tried to explain very quickly. We were not shutting down the parties. We were reducing uh, the hours of operation so that there would be a much safer environment for all of them. I met with students countless times. I met with you know people who own bars and everything else, and just listened and talked. And we, I didn't try to push anything. I just wanted to let them know why we were doing it. And basically, everybody was more or less aligned with that because I was not trying to dictate anything. I just laid out what the realities were. And pragmatically, if you were a business executive, there were huge benefits in increasing enrollment. So that sold them very quickly. And then, and so the churches would get behind it because they understood what they needed to do. And so, again, you have to understand people and then try to reach a situation where nobody's happy, but everybody can live with it. And that's what we always did. Uh, and it worked out. You got the enrollment back up, it sounds like. We did. We had a strong increase. And then, of course, Bob Witt came in as president. And 
he built on that foundation and did really quite remarkable things and uh, just a strong leader in so many ways and so from there you know the university continues to to grow in numbers and quality and all of this because people want to know what the real priorities are uh I've told people a long time ago, don't listen to the talk, follow the money. And that'll tell you where the real priorities are. But uh, it it all worked out, and to the benefit, I think, of certainly the students, the state. Uh, and so it's, granted, it's, it's scripturally driven. For example, if you look at some of the great leaders in Scripture, they were leading by example. Uh, they were not dictating what would happen here or there. And if one thinks about it, the leaders spiritually and otherwise at the national and international level, for example, had very little money. They certainly did not have connections at the highest levels and so forth. It was just the very nature of themselves. But if you paint a very compelling vision that people can buy into and get behind and trust you. A single leader can do enormous things. You look at Martin Luther King, for example. He redefined the world in about 11 years. The impact that he had uh, from a social point of view and, and based on his scripture continues to this day. It's affected millions of people. Mother Teresa was the same way, and I could go on and on. Now, you can have really bad charismatic people like Hitler and others, but if you have the right people and the message is so compelling and they can relate to it, great things will happen. And that's whether it's at a university or whether it's at a local congregation or whatever it is, if they know what the priorities are and what we're trying to achieve. So it's, it's, you know, in many ways, rather simple. If you follow scripture, I mean, it, it tells you what to do and what not to do. <clears throat> I think of Nehemiah, for example. He gave up everything for a much broader cause. And people trusted him. He never really got his hands dirty that much, but he was going in and doing everything necessary to make it happen, one man. And if you go through the scripture, there are so many inspirational stories like that. I had been thinking and had been asked for a while to teach classes on leadership. But, you know, some health issues and so forth got into the way, and I never did that. But I had done a lot of, of reading about leaders. And go through, particularly in the Old Testament, most of those people were leaders. Now, they had falls, David and others. And you'll see even in the New Testament that their faith was such that they continued to push. And they changed everything from a little nothing group that Christ had started till what we have today. And, uh, and you know, Christ was willing to sacrifice everything 
for the Cokes. But he led by example. And he was not enamored with leadership, just the opposite. He was concerned about people stressful and what could be done to help them and so forth. And I think through all of that, there are life lessons about how you go out and have an impact of that. You know, and he was, I think, probably the greatest leader in world history. Again, he had no money. Again, he had no connections politically. But the vision was so compelling, and they trusted him so much. It redefined the world. And so we forget two people can make a huge difference, even. And in my own life, I've seen that, for example. I had kind of drifted away when I was in college, and I met a guy named Howard Thompson, who was in this local congregation for a good while, and his children and grandchildren are still some of them there. And he talked to me about Scripture, and because we were both in the same general Ph.D. program. And so it kind of went from there. One man doing what God had asked him to do and to spread the word and show that the true way to live a satisfying life was through the Bible and all that it said. The truths are eternal. They don't change with time. But sometimes we go off in a strange direction. But the truth is still there. And that's one of the lessons that I learned over time when listening to good people like that and, and, and good preaching. Uh, there's so much to learn. Uh, and I just love to get into discussions with people about issues and try to understand you know, their viewpoints and I'm usually the better for it and I have insights that I didn't have before but anyway one of the big things that you've you've mentioned a few times is the trust that you have to have between you and the other people around you they have to trust you uh, and and one of the big things you mentioned with that is is always being truthful I think that's really good to hear for all of us today to take in advice of, of always telling the truth um, and building that trust, not only with uh, people that we're working with, but our family, our friends, everyone around us to be able to have that, that trust. That's what I feel like really builds the stronger relationships. When I think of it's fundamental to a good marriage, for example, and too often we don't look at it that way. We just want to get busy, 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 and keep going, you know. Uh, I remember more than once I would come in off of a long day, you know, 12 hours or so, and I just wanted to sit down. But, you know, my wife had been there with the kids all day. She won't talk. She looked at me and said, now, hush, quit that. I know mentally you're saying get on with it, get on with it. And so I learned that. You have to listen and have to understand, and it's a hard job, whether it's your employees, your families, or others. It, 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 it's worth it, but 
you've got to control your own ego and you were blessed with you know a great gift as scripture tells you in, in, in marriage for example but it's true wherever you go and you have to be willing to listen you may not ultimately agree but people respect you because you did listen and as I said earlier they then are going to give you a lot of latitude because they trust you and but they also are willing to come in and tell you what they think you need to know not what you want to hear and depending on how you react at that point in time they're going to let you drive right over the cliff they're not going to hurt you but if you make it where they can come in and share viewpoints and perspectives then it's going to work otherwise you're off on an ego trip by your by yourself uh, so again everything is life in life is driven by scripture i think that's such great advice for all of us to to hear and to take and listen um throughout your your career uh and and rising through the ranks all the way to the top um were there ever times when you you know struggled with your faith or your beliefs or uh struggled with the all the power and you know how did you find that balance between work and also your your christian faith and i never had any real problems uh in a corporate sense if you will uh I just tried to keep my head down, work hard, let the results speak for themselves. Uh, but sometimes the greatest challenges come on a personal level. Uh, and that was, I think, the, the case for me. I was married to a truly wonderful woman for 54 years, my best friend. We... You know, started a desire to, we're going to have children, which was a wonderful thing. And then about five or six years old, you know, our son was diagnosed with a terminal illness with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And, and then our daughter became ill. And you realize that the plan God has for you is different than what you expected. Begin to realize, you know, that your children will never get married. There won't be any grandchildren. Uh, and your heart aches for them. But God helps us to get through all of that. You know, and the reality is that you're not in charge, and there has to be a purpose for it. Our son was a remarkable Christian. Uh, he actually wrote a book on his life. He dictated it, which is so insightful. But he would teach, he would preach sermons from a wheelchair, for example, and do all of that. And, you know, there are setbacks in one's career and so forth, but it's not as personal. And so... You don't understand, if you look at Job, he didn't understand anything, but he had faith and accepted that and went on and then doubled down 
and what you can do to help others who are going through these rough times. None of us gets through life without difficult times. That's just the reality of it. We look around us, and but it's a, it's a real test of faith. And, and so, yeah, you know, you have rough conversations with God sometimes. But he already understands it, knows it anyway, so why not just unload? You know, I don't understand this and why this and that and the other. But you learn and you mature and move forward. Uh, but you have to know again what counts. If you keep score by money, you never have enough. If you want to climb the ladder, you're too often willing to pay whatever price there is to get to the top. And if you keep score by all your possessions, you, know, you uh, they're going to own you. I mean, you've got so much going on you have to deal with. So I think you need a, a simplistic life focused on what really counts and act accordingly. And again, I think that's what Scripture tells us to do. Uh, but, you know, even today, you know, I meet with people and try to counsel them with people. They want to know how I handle this and that and the other. And mostly they just want to talk. Somebody listen. And listening is the key to everything, I think. Too often we're busy planning our response instead of really deeply listening and trying to understand what's being said, and I've learned that the hard way. Uh, but we all have to have a purpose in life, regardless of life circumstances or ages, age or whatever, because without you know, a purpose in life, we just drift. If we don't have good spiritual connections and social connections, if we're not involved in the community, we're in a rapid downward spiral which is unnecessary if we follow what scripture says it's really simple if we just didn't let, don't let our own ego get in the way that's powerful yeah that's a that's a fantastic point not i really like that not letting the ego get in our way and being being the the obstacle uh that keeps us from well it's a recipe in many ways for disaster uh, and it's you don't have to do any of that to to be successful. I think the key to success is to understand the scripture, follow the scripture. And that I don't mean you're out pontificating all the time, but the reality is we teach by how we live. We're always on stage. People are observing us. And we have to remember that and try to project the right image based on Scripture. That's fantastic. All right, guys. Barry has given us so much wisdom and advice so far in this conversation about how we should conduct ourselves, the way that we should live our lives, treat other people, and how we should align our priorities in, in our work every day. So much so that we're actually going to have to split this up into a two-week series. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into his family life to hear more stories and advice and wisdom 
that he has for us. And I seriously look forward to that as well. As I've already said, I have learned so much so far and can't wait to learn even more. Really hope you guys have enjoyed this. If you did, please let us know. Uh, We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, As always, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. I really appreciate it as well as Alexander, who's not with us this week. Uh, But I also know Mr. Barry appreciates getting to tell his story and share it with others as well. Thank you guys again. Really hope you guys join us back for part two next week as we continue on this journey through Mr. Barry's life. Hope you guys have a wonderful week.